Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We are here November 14th on a Tuesday, Rutgers game week here in Happy Valley. Of course, there hasn't been much talk of those Scarlet Knights just yet. We'll get into more of that on Thursday in our preview episode here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Myself, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon will have our colleague from the Rutgers 24-7 sports site on as well to break down those bull-bound Scarlet Knights who are coming off of a shutout loss against Iowa. We're also going to go a, a lot into what we are hearing and what we are, are learning and seeing eventually on the practice field this week in the aftermath of Mike Yersich's firing as offensive coordinator. As we covered in our Monday episode of this podcast, we heard from James Franklin on Monday in Beaver Stadium, <clears throat> excuse me, in a press conference situation uh, where he told us uh, you know, it was his decision. He explained why he made it. We wrote about that a lot at lines247.com. We covered it quite a bit looking towards what's next. But this episode, we are going to go heavy on recruiting because Penn State just picked up a commitment. In case you missed it here on a Tuesday evening or whenever you're picking up this podcast, Beckham Kritza out of Fairview High School in Colorado is the latest Nittany Lions commit. He's a quarterback. He's in the 2025 recruiting class. And Tyler Calvaruso joins us right now to break it down. Tyler, this announcement came with 24-7 Sports. We're going to follow it up here on Lions 24-7 and break down Beckham Kritza this is an interesting timing, of course, because Penn State just 48 hours ago or so announced that they fired their quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator. But let's focus on the prospect, the pickup, Beckham Kritza. Tell us what we all need to know right off the jump. It was kind of unexpected in the sense that, you know, entering the weekend, as we were confirming names, Kritza was one that didn't come in until Friday that he was going to be in town for the Michigan game. And, you know, it was a quarterback heavy weekend for Penn State. So there were questions of where did he stand on the board among the other visitors at the position over the weekend? Obviously, we have our answer. You know, Penn State likes him enough to take him at this juncture with, you know, a lot of uncertainty surrounding the offense moving forward and just the direction of the unit as James Franklin looks to make an offensive coordinator higher. You know, Kritza has been high on Penn State for a really, really long time. He picked up the offer from the Nittany Lions early in his recruitment, got comfortable with the staff beyond just Mike Gershers, and that's probably the big thing to know here. You know, sometimes we always talk about recruits committing to a position coach or something of that nature. This was a decision from Kritza that went far beyond just one coach. You know, this was a program call for Kritza. He likes everything that Penn State has to offer from an on and off the field perspective. He really appreciates the way Jane Franklin has, you know, made him feel at home every time that he visits. I mean, one thing Kritza has said to me multiple times throughout the course of his recruitment is when he gets to state college and he gets around the staff and gets around members of the program, just a different kind of vibe compared to the other programs involved in his recruitment. Just has that home feeling. He really appreciates the loyalty from the staff. You know, Kritza has been well-traveled on the high school front. You know, it's he's gone from – his home state of Colorado, spent a sophomore season in California, spent a little bit of time at Miami Central, and now he's back in Colorado, and Penn State has stuck with him through his entire process, so he's been always very appreciative of that. He's still coming along as a pass I would say, you know, the arm strength is very apparent. You pop on Kritz's film, it's probably the first thing that stands out, the kid can swing it. I think he still has a couple of things to clean up mechanically, but you can see the upside here. You can see why Penn State, you know, wanted to make this decision when it did granted you know again the timing's interesting given everything's going on with the program right now but Kritzum's on board he's going to, he's looking to be one of those leaders in a 2025 class you know anytime a quarterback gets on board in your recruiting class it's notable so Penn State has itself a signal caller on board for a class that is growing pretty quickly even though it's early in the cycle 
We'll get into the class uh, as a whole in just a moment where they stand in 2025. But focusing on Kritza, kind of that, that tall, wiry, physical build, I would probably describe it as six foot five, 180 pounds. Um, a, a lot of room for growth there as well. Not a rusher, uh, not a guy who's going to be labeled any kind of dual threat quarterback, at least based on what we understand about him thus far in his career. We can see where he'll go into a strength and conditioning program here in State College. But you look at the stats this season, they're a little bit abbreviated because, as you just said, Tyler, he's had some transfers. And when you transfer in high school, you, you tend to miss some games or you tend to have to wait a little bit. But he has gotten on the field for his squad at Fairfield this season. And, and, and in games since starting with them in the final weekend of September, He's got 20 touchdown passes. He's got three interceptions. He's completing about 66% of his throws. And, you know, competing in a public school setting as the number one ranked player in the state of Colorado, you want to see him out there and putting up those kind of numbers. Uh, and, and so I look at this pickup here, um, and he talked about kind of the, the, the path that he took to get to this point. He was on campus with four, or we should say three others, but there was four total 2025 quarterback prospects who have a Penn State offer who were in Beaver Stadium on Saturday watching Penn State lose to Michigan. Uh, and we talked about the dynamics that might go into play there. Do you think the timing has anything to do with the maybe a little bit of a pressure cooker situation when you pack all these pa uh, all these quarterbacks into a, a situation where you know who's going to be the first to pop, then you see a guy go off the board? You know, not in this instance, because I think that the door is definitely not shut on this being a two quarterback class. So it wasn't one of those situations where you get multiple guys at quarterback in town for one weekend and you push and see who pops first. And that's that, you know, the Penn State is not done writing the story when it comes to a 2025 quarterback recruiting. It's obviously, you know, had very happy to have crits on board at this point in the cycle, but they're not going to be done with the likes of Malik Washington from Archbishop Spalding in Maryland. They're not going to be done with the likes of Matt Zollers, the in-state product from Spring Ford, Ohio, has had an incredible junior season and recently picked up an offer from Penn State. So they're going to continue kicking the tides with a bunch of quarterback prospects in 2025. This is not spelled the end of Penn State's recruiting at the position. So, you know, sometimes that does play out that way, especially at quarterback, you know, just given the fact that there are such a limited number of spots available at the position compared to the, of the other skill position. You know, wide receivers, there's obviously always more running back. It kind of is one of those things that kind of speaks for itself regarding numbers in a recruiting class. So sometimes it does play out that way at quarterback. But in this instance, I would say no. Penn State has had a few multi-quarterback classes. The first under James Franklin was his first year on campus. He brought one to town uh, in Trace McSorley. He inherited one in Michael O'Connor. We know how that one played out down the road. Uh, and then you've had two quarterbacks come to campus in 2019, neither of which really materialized for the program, and Taquan Roberson and Michael Johnson Jr. And then, of course, more recently, the two top quarterbacks on your depth chart, uh, Bo Perbula and Drew Aller coming on board as members of the 2022 class. So it's a one-man show in 2023 with Jackson Smolik. It's a one-man show in 2024 with Ethan Grunkemeyer. Now we turn the page 2025. Before we get into some of those other options, let's continue to focus on Beckham Kritza here, a guy that I would love to get on the podcast because he does have a very unique journey, and this is quite the decision. And speaking of decisions, the decision to – I don't want to say take this, but, and, 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 but for James Franklin to feel comfortable enough without having a, a full-time offensive coordinator or a quarterbacks coach in place right now and to say we're ready to commit to taking a commitment, what do you think from the Lash perspective and what's going on inside that building led up to their comfort level with Pritza in, in this 48-hour span where there's a lot going on right now on campus? I think when it comes down to it, you just have to take a look at the fact that Franklin and company saw a prospect who has a high ceiling and they feel that regardless of the hire at offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach, depending on how this winds up playing out, they feel that regardless of who they bring in, 
Kritza is a guy who can be developed at a high level. Because the fact of the matter is he has some things that you cannot teach. I mean, you mentioned his frame earlier. Six foot five, 180 as a high school junior. I mean, you just you can't coach that. That that's not something that you can add along in his development. He's already at that point. So that frame is intriguing. I mentioned the arm strength earlier. So that's something that the Penn State staff will have to work with. And I, I feel like if you watch the film and you talk to people familiar with Kritz's recruitment and his game. He sees things very well. He processes things very well. So that's another aspect of it as well. They're not just taking on Beckham Kurtz. He's not just, you know, a project with a big arm. I think there's a little bit more to him than just that. So when it comes to the decision and the timeline and deciding to make this call to take Beckham Kurtz at this point with everything that's going on, I would say it really just comes down to the fact that Franklin and his staff see a high ceiling guy and you say, hey, look, he has traits, man. And some of these traits you cannot pass on. So no matter who we bring in as our coordinator, this is a guy that we feel confident that we can develop into an impact player for our program moving forward. I think that was the approach with this. When we when we look at Kritza here and, and whoever his offensive coordinator is going to be, uh, he's going to follow in uh, the last couple of quarterbacks we've talked about. And you look at their trajectory at similar stages of, of their careers when they were juniors. You know, Jackson Smolik was essentially entirely off the power five radar. Right. I mean, he was he was dealing with an injury that year as a junior and he would have to get into the camp and, and circuit. And then that's following spring and summer to really put himself out there. And Tulane offers him and eventually Penn State comes. The Elite 11 stuff happens. And then you talk about Ethan Grunkemeyer, where he was as a, as a junior. You know, that offer didn't come from Penn State until this spring, right? So that's that's five, six months removed from the start of his junior season. And we've seen how Grunkemeyer has gone from kind of a mid-tier uh, three-star rating to a guy who's now inside the top 100. And then you evaluate what Drew Aller was and, and, and now he skyrocketed. And, of course, the commonality in all of that is they were evaluated by the same quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator here at Penn State. But we also know that Mike Yersich was heavily involved in this pursuit. Just food for thought as we've seen them get on guys early, pick up those offers, and then we've watched as our 24-7 Sports Ranking Council has rewarded Penn State for those early finds, and they end up with some you know high-caliber blue-chip talent come signing day. But Tyler Cabaruso, as you said, may not be done at the quarterback position this cycle. And we got a good look on Saturday at who else is involved there. Where do you want to start? We got the in-state guy. We got the Ohio guy. We got the Maryland guy. You go wherever you want to go. We might as well start the most local we could get, and that would be starting with Matt Zollers, a spring forward standout. Got back to campus, had another really good visit. This was his first visit as an offered recruit, so that's always notable because the circumstances are a little bit different when you make it back as an offer prospect compared to when you're just a guy on the board, you know, who's still being felt out by the staff. He was definitely uh, – he felt good being back around Franklin and his staff, and I got the chance to catch up with him on Monday morning, and I don't think the change at offensive coordinator will impact his perception of Penn State moving forward. The Nittany lines will remain very high on his list. So that is not something that will negatively impact Penn state in its pursuit. And, you know, he, again, this is an offer that went out after a very long evaluation and thought process. Penn state saw Zollers a bunch of times during the summer. We have multiple seven on seven tournaments where he was in attendance. He attended the whiteout camp at the end of June and then his junior season film, it's kind of spoken for itself. So this has been a long and drawn out process when it comes to Zollers and his evaluation and Penn state feeling good about the offer as it is with every in-state prospect because you know you have to walk a little bit of a finer line when you're dealing with prospects from your own state especially at quarterback you know given Penn State's history recruiting the position and bringing guys from the state so he had a good visit and Penn State really that's this is one of those instances where you kind of
kind of it's a foregone conclusion that Penn State will have staying power with Zollers and be involved in this process pretty much for the duration. I just checked his stats: thirty-seven touchdowns versus two interceptions uh, as a junior. And so, yeah, I think the the uh, sensational throws that we saw in the seven-on-seven seven scene this summer on campus they carried Friends over pretty well onto the real field onto the real field with padded action uh, for Zollers. And and as we noted a few episodes ago, when he did pick up that offer, uh, they have been few and far between, not just in the James Franklin era, but you go back the last couple of decades uh, for Penn State. Uh, Bo Perbula is the only scholarship addition in a freshman class going back to 2010. Uh, so that is a long span. And now maybe Zollers lines up for a potential addition down the road here. Uh, let's go over to Ryan Montgomery. It comes to town from Ohio. Um, he's a guy who has, you know, kind of gone back and forth and, and, and they've gone out to see him. We've seen Mike Yersich out to Ohio. This is another player who, who uh, trains with Brad Mendler, the trainer, uh, the, the guy who's training Ethan Grunkemeyer. He trains uh, Drew Allard. There's a lot of history there. Mike Yersich, again, very much involved with that. Uh, but Montgomery gets to campus. His older brother is, is an Ohio State player at this point. He was a top prospect in last year's class, but Ohio State's not in the mix. Where does his recruitment stand, and, and and what do you think about the proposition of him maybe coming back to campus, or or is this kind of one that that we're just going to pause and, and and see how it develops for other programs? I think probably more in the category of pausing and seeing how it develops for other programs. I labeled Montgomery as less likely for Penn State among the four quarterbacks that visited over the weekend. I labeled him as less likely leading up to the weekend, and I would definitely still categorize him in that ilk. Not that he didn't have a good visit because he did. And he enjoyed getting back around Franklin and other members of the staff and seeing the offense in person. Again, I just feel like this one has been trending away from Penn state for a while. And now you factor in that you who was arguably his best relationship with anyone on the staff, you know, he's no longer in the mix. So I think that probably impacts things compared to some of the other quarterback recruits that we're going to talk about here today. So I think Penn State is still going to have a chance with Montgomery. I just wouldn't say it's likely that he winds up in State College. He'd probably take another visit and him getting back around whoever the new offensive coordinator hire is. I just don't think this one's going to happen for Penn State at this point. Now, Montgomery is the highest rated in terms of 24-7 sports assessment of the four quarterbacks we're going to talk about on this episode. He's a four-star. He's number 240 overall in the top 24-7. He's the number 13 quarterback out of Finley, Ohio. Kritza, uh, meanwhile, I don't know if we even went over his ratings and rankings. I apologize for that. He's a three-star right now. He's the number 34 overall quarterback. You look at the composite rankings, he's number 405 nationally and the number 30 quarterback in those. And then Zollers does not yet carry a rating or ranking. Remember, he's been on the rise here collecting those Power 5 offers. Penn State's a splashy one. Trust me, the 24-7 sports crew is going to get to that one. He'll have a rating and ranking soon. Uh, and then Malik Washington, who we're going to finish up this conversation with. He's been to campus several times. He's a guy that we have seen on the Elite 11 circuit together. Um, six foot four, 200 pounds. He's certainly, when these quarterbacks gather and before anyone's throwing the football, every time you watch him in a group, he stands out. Uh, and he's a big-time hooper. And that translates as well into some of the things he can do, not as a runner downfield. I don't want to uh, categorize him necessarily as a run first guy because he throws first, but he can do a lot of good things behind the line of scrimmage. You've talked about before, mechanically, he seems to be improving. Archbishop Spalding is where you'll find him down in Maryland. Saturday, you found him in Beaver Stadium. Where are we with Malik Washington? Who, in this region, to me, is one of the more intriguing quarterback figures because of where I think he could be at 20 years old versus where he's been at 16, 17 years old. 
Yeah, we mentioned ceiling with Critson. Penn State definitely sees that ceiling with Malik Washington as well. You know, I feel like there's still a lot of untapped potential there, and he's come along really, really nicely in his development. I definitely think he's a candidate to finish as a four-star in that 2025 class when it's all said and done. I mean, you mentioned the athletic profile he has and the fact that, you know, he's not a run-first quarterback. He looks to pass first. He uses his mobility to his advantage when he has to, that's for sure. He could use his legs to make plays, but that's not his first instinct. He wants to stand in the pocket, make throws, go through his progressions and, you know, air it out. And he's gotten pretty damn good at it. I would say, you know, going from his sophomore year to his junior year, he's made some pretty big strides and he's a really intriguing prospect. When it comes to where Penn State stands in his recruitment, I would say it maintains a pretty prominent position. Another situation where I do not foresee the change at offensive coordinator impacting a recruitment. I don't think Washington is going to drop Penn State down his list after this decision. To move on from Mike Gertrude, I think Penn State's going to remain in a pretty high place. And kind of like Zollers, he's going to wait and see what happens with that coordinator hire who winds up coming in and he'll look to develop a relationship with that coach. But again, this is a recruitment that has gone beyond just one coach. Malik Washington really likes Penn State head coach James Franklin. He likes the offense. And again, Penn State really likes him. So two quarter, the potential for this to be a two-quarterback class, guys like Zollers and Washington, they're very much still on the board. And Penn State's going to go after those two. It's such a fascinating series of days here as we're talking about four quarterback targets on campus. The offense really fails to produce. You get 70 passing yards out of your former five-star quarterback, not the kind of showcase you want to put on display in front of these guys. Come out of it, you fire your quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator, and then you essentially start the week here with a quarterback commitment, and you've got other guys that are maybe going to come on board. It's just college football, sometimes you live in the moment, but it's always a long-term proposition. It always is a long-term proposition uh, because we're talking about the future of this position for Penn State as we're always hyper-focused on the current situation with Drew Aller and previously with Mike Yersich. Let's move on from the quarterback spot. It's a position that, that we'll cover more moving down the road. And there's a bunch more coverage on Beckham Kritza over at lines247.com, Skyrim Reports, uh, perspective on, on this edition for Penn State. Just a lot that we didn't necessarily get to here on the podcast. Uh, let's go to some other positions, guys who were on campus in town for that Michigan matchup and, and focus on an in-state linebacker. And whenever you're talking in-state linebacker with a scholarship offer from the Nittany Lions, everyone's ears perk up. Alex Tache, uh fairly recently offered, if I recall correctly, he gets back into state college for this one. Uh, where do they stand with him? Yeah, he picked up his offer from Penn State while he was on campus for the Indiana game. Really like where the Nittany Lions are standing in this one early on. I don't think it's going to be one of those situations where just because he has an in-state offer and, you know, Penn State being Penn State and having the profile that it has for him, I don't think that you're going to wrap up, you know, in relative short order. That's not the feedback I've received, but I think Penn State is in a pretty good spot for the in-state backer right now. But he's getting some pretty intriguing offers. You know, USC just jumped in late last week, so that's the, the dreaded wonderful. Stanford offer is now in play. Yep. I mean, <laughs> oh man. it's just like, you know, his list continues to grow. And so yeah. as that list continues to grow, I think he's going to continue to evaluate the opportunities that come in because his junior season film is circulating and it's pretty impressive junior season film out at a uh, greater road tripod. So he's, uh, he's in a good spot right now for Penn state. I, I think the Nittany lines are in a position to get this one done at some point. I think things are trending in that direction. Not going to go to the crystal ball just yet. I think, I'm going to wait and watch as this one plays out a little bit longer, but I like where Penn State's at. 6'2", pushing his way toward 220 pounds as a junior right now. You like the build. You like the production thus far at the high school level. And, and anytime you start to see some things 
matching up like this and lining up at the linebacker position in the state of Pennsylvania, usually a good thing for the Nittany Lions. Uh, over to New Jersey we go, and, and you know a lot about the Garden State, sir, as do I. Paramus Catholic offensive lineman Malachi Goodman. He's one of the ascending figures when you talk about players in the trenches in the Garden State for the 2025 class, that junior group that's finishing out their third high school season. Big Ten offers are coming his way. He saw a Big Ten matchup in Beaver Stadium on Saturday. What kind of an impression did Penn State make on Malachi Goodman? I'd say a pretty good one. I, I think uh, Penn State is moving up on – this has been kind of a mutual rise. You know, ever since that offer rolled in on October 11th, Goodman has gradually moved up that offensive line board. And I think as Goodman has gotten to know offensive line coach Phil Troutwin and other members of the staff more, I think his opinion of Penn State has just gradually improved. And then he gets to campus for the first time as an offered recruit, gets around the staff, gets around head coach James Franklin, gets to see a Big Ten matchup, as you noted. And I, I think uh, Penn State definitely impressed – Malachi Goodman over the weekend. It'll be interesting to see where his recruitment takes him because I do think he is a potential riser in that 2025 class. So Penn State made the right call offering when it did, and I like where that relationship is heading. So when it comes to that 2025 offensive line board, he's moving up there specifically at tackle. Penn State likes him on the outside right now. Uh, okay, that, that's an interesting note. And some of the offers that have followed Penn State's offer, as you mentioned, on October 11th, Duke, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Rutgers, South Carolina. Nothing that, that necessarily blows you away or really makes you feel threatened as a Nittany Lions supporter, but you can see he's stacking up those Power 5 offers as his junior season comes to a close. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another name that you have on the list we wanted to get to here among those Michigan visitors is another player out of Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Demetrius Ballard. Tell us a little bit about him because, I mean, he's he's a big framed kid uh, as a junior, and it looks like he's got some positional versatility. He does. He's, uh, you know, anytime late in the cycle, a guy pops onto the radar in the manner that Demetrius Ballard has. You kind of have to play things here. I should have rung the bells. We're we're 2024 (laughs) prospects, so that's a little bit different right now. Signing days next month, the second signing days in February. It's definitely notable in the sense that he's a 2024 prospect because. First off, I mean, his offers right now are Buffalo and Coastal Carolina. So Penn State's not in a position where it necessarily has to rush with him. And I'm not sure what kind of timeline Ballard is on himself, but he has told me that an offer from the Nittany Lions would be – it'd mark a pivotal point in his recruitment. I'm not sure one is going to come. You know, I think it's something that Penn State is exploring. They're definitely doing some evaluating. His size checked out while he was on campus, so that's a plus. Right now – I'd probably say, you know, it's more likely maybe no than yes. But and the reason for that being, you know, it being so late in the cycle and it's an in-state guys, if you make that offer, you know, you're pretty much making it, you know, with the eye on adding him to the class. You know, it's not one of those situations where you offer and then you wait and see. I'm just going to bring up a name that we all know well now, but Daquan Hardy. He didn't get that Penn State offer until I want to say the, the Monday night before signing day. Uh, that February, he was going to go to the MAC and all the you know, Penn State offers late. You don't put that offer on the table when you're getting on the signing day just to, just to kind of tease. Exactly. You're doing it because you have a need to fill, and you're doing it because you think that they'll jump at that offer typically. And in Ballard's case, can you, can you kind of talk me through? He's, he's relatively new to me. What, what, what is his profile in terms of a positional standpoint? Because when I look here, I'm just seeing, what, a 6'5"-ish, 245-plus pound frame and I don't, uh, and if, if that's accurate, and and then uh, what do you do with it? 
Yeah, I think he has a frame where you could tack on some good weight, and he could help you on the interior. You know, again, can he help at a power five level? I need to personally watch a film and, you know, see what he's all about. But the feedback I've received on his game has been pretty positive. You know, it seems like he's had himself a really good senior season, and Penn State's not the only power five program doing some exploring on Demetrius Ballard right now. So that's interesting. And, you know, you mentioned Daquan Hardy. I think that's interesting because that offer comes in late. But you know what the difference is between now and then? You know, you got the transfer portal to take into account. Yeah. So when it comes to offering a guy like Ballard, who maybe in the past would have picked up that really late offer on like the eve of the early signing period, now you have to take into account that, you know, maybe Penn State takes a step back and say, hey, look, we want to see what's out there on the defensive line in the portal before making a jump and offering a guy like Ballard. So I think that's an element of this that didn't previously exist. But now it does, and I think that could potentially impact what Penn State decides to do here. That's a tremendous point. I'm so glad you brought that up because it is something that we all need to be aware of, and and, and it's unfortunate because it's shutting the door on a lot of high school seniors out there who otherwise would be getting FBS roster spots, getting Power 5 roster spots, because you've got coaching staffs assessing and saying, do I want to ch take a chance on a 17-year-old who's probably going to require at least a couple of years in my program to get to the point where I trust him to play consistently or do I want to use that roster spot on a one and done plug and play thing where it's a little bit more proven, a guy who knows what it's like to live away from mom and dad, who knows what it's like to prepare for a matchup Sunday through Friday. And oftentimes these programs where, where the coach is under pressure to win right now, whether he's trying to save his job or break through to the next level, that decision's a fairly easy one. So guys like Demetrius Ballard can end up going by the wayside. We'll see how it plays out here, but I'm so glad you brought up that point because it is a very new phenomena that we're mm -hmm. all dealing with in college football. And it is extremely legitimate in the way that programs are approaching how they build rosters, especially when we get into the late stages of a recruiting cycle. Uh, you want to talk about a tandem here, a couple wide receivers from down in Virginia, which we know this wide receivers coach, he is very well versed in the state of Virginia. Uh, Marcus Sagan's played at the University of Virginia. He was there for the last decade on that staff before he made the move to Penn State. Look, we're, we're still waiting for things to materialize that wide receiver on the field. That, that's not a secret for anyone who's followed the team here through 10 games. We know that they've got a pretty good recruiting class here put together for the 2024 class that, that's going to be reaching the finish line in just a bit. Now we focus on the 2025 efforts and Trey Jones, Matthew Auten down in Virginia, this is his wheelhouse. Where do they stand? And, and, and coming out of that Michigan matchup, probably not impressed by the passing game. It's hard to, to like that as a wide receiver. But was Penn State able to get some other things, impress some other things upon those guys beyond the box score and beyond the final score? You know, that 2025 wide receiver board is definitely still materializing. There are a bunch of new names being added. Trey Jones from Oscar Smith, the Virginia powerhouse, and Matthew Outen being the latest. So Jones picked up his offer before kickoff, and that was one that we had a feeling was coming entering the weekend. Penn State had been evaluating him for a while. He got a couple of power five offers to his name early on. Seemed like he had a really good visit based on feedback. And then Outen, he didn't get the chance to catch up with Marcus Higgins before kickoff, and that was the plan. But he didn't get the chance. It was a little bit Traffic late. Traffic was Higgins. terrible, Tyler. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame any recruit. A lot of recruits told me that. Campus on time. Traffic was as bad as I've seen it. All right, anyways, keep going. <laughs> no, a lot of kids told me that. And <laughs> he wound up being late to the stadium because of it. So we didn't get the chance to catch up with Higgins as he was hoping. But he did get the chance to talk with Rashad Rich. And Rashad Rich has been a prominent figure in his recruitment from Penn State perspective early on. And it was made clear to him through his conversation with Rich that he was wanted in Happy Valley. And that offer was issued. That really intrigues me. He's standing at around six foot 
200 pounds. I think he plays a little bit bigger than that. I got the chance to tap into a little bit of his film. I'm liking what I see out of him. I think he's a legit power five receiver. So, you know, his relationship, he's going to look to connect with Higgins moving forward, build that relationship, build the relationship with Rashad Rich as well, which I think is actually already in a pretty good place. I think those two kind of hit it off every time they get the chance to talk based on feedback. So that's encouraging for Penn State. It'll be interesting to see where he falls on the board as things progress. Same goes for Jones. The same goes for Terrell Wolfong from New Jersey as well. I know he's not a Virginia kid, but he picks up an offer from Penn State going back to October 27th, makes it to campus over the weekend for the first time as an offer prospect, another guy who is intrigued in this offense and his potential fit in his offense. Wolfong is different than the two guys that we just talked about. We talked about out and playing a little bit bigger, maybe than his six foot, 200 frame. Wolfong's six, four. So he, you know, his frame, it's definitely more of a lengthy and big one. You know, he's around six, four, one sixty right now. So probably needs to add a little bit of weight. Staff was telling him that, you know, a couple of things that he needs to work on in the off season, but they really like who he is as a player and as a prospect profile. So Wolfong, he's liking the staff. He was telling me he got the chance to catch up with Khalil Lamad, the recruiting system before kickoff, who has been an integral part of Penn State's recruiting efforts in the Garden State recently. And he feels, you know, with a mod growing up in a similar area as him, that helps him to understand Penn State's part in his recruitment. He feels like those two have a pretty good connection. He's getting to know Higgins a little bit. He's liking how that's going. So Wolfong's a name to know in addition to those two Virginia guys. And if I had to, you know, make a prediction, I would say that more and more offers at the position continue to go out in 2025 because Penn State's wide receiver room, they're definitely looking to get more explosive. And Higgins is hard at work to make that happen. He has hit it pretty hard on the recruiting show when it comes to 24 and 25. Yeah, it's gonna. I mean, I don't know what happens after the season. There's gonna be some tough conversations, I'd mm -hmm. imagine, just because there's been so many opportunities. It seems for for receivers to step up. We haven't seen them, and, and we haven't seen the production. It's also hard to make sense of what this offense has been in 2023. And you throw in the first time receivers coach who didn't personally bring any of these guys to campus, and you're just kind of like, okay, how much are we putting stock into this being a Marcus Higgins thing? How much are we putting stock into this being a Penn State issue? Uh, right now, what Marcus Higgins can do is go out and get talent and stock that room up, and, and, and that's a good start. Um, Tyler, let's finish with – actually, before we get to the 2024, you know, what's left on the table there, let's bring everyone up to speed on, on what's cooking for the 2025 class because uh, Beckham Kritza brings the total up to six commits. It's a top 10 class as of now in the 24-7 sports rankings. You've got uh, – in addition to the quarterback now, you've got linebacker DJ McClary out of New Jersey. He's a four-star. Uh, you've got Brady O'Hara, a jumbo athlete out of Pittsburgh. He's a four-star. DeAndre Barker is a four-star running back out of Texas. Tequay Hayes is a three-star running back out of Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. And then Omari Gaines, who's that long-limbed defensive back uh, from Newark, New Jersey. So those are your six. What do you make of the class thus far, uh, Tyler Calvaruso? And, and it's a group that we'd expect to maybe grow by quadruple by the time everything is, is said and done. But what do you think about the early foundation here in mid-November of 2023? It's definitely further along the 2024 class when it comes to foundation. You guys remember how long Cooper Cousins was alone in that class before Anthony Specka joined him during the long winter. Time. Almost, almost a full year. So Penn State's already ahead of the curve in that regard, getting some leaders on board early. Already got two running backs in Barker and Hayes and guys that Penn State really, really likes. So that's a really good foundation in the backfield, again, for Jaylon Sider, hitting the home runs on the trail early in the cycle. So that's something Penn State's really excited about when it comes to this 2025 class. I just think they've got a solid group right now, and I think they're going to continue building. You know, as the new coordinator hire gets made, maybe some reshaping of boards takes place. 
But Penn State, as I mentioned, you know, they're working hard on wide receiver. They're in a very good position when it comes to recruiting tight end with Ty Howell on board, just what he's been able to accomplish on the recruiting show with these tight end prospects as of late. So they're able to take more of a national, you know, perspective on that. I think defensive recruiting, those boards are still coming together early on, but they're shaping up pretty nicely. Penn State helping himself with some top targets. But when it comes to the guys who are currently on board, I think it's a pretty solid start. And you mentioned Omari Gaines, who right now is the lowest ranked commit in that class. He's just won a state or a sectional title in New Jersey over the weekend. I think he's had himself a pretty solid junior season. So I think he's definitely developed a little bit, probably maybe more than I was anticipating, you know, going from his role at St. Peter's Prep. He plays at Group 1 Shabazz High in Newark now. He's had himself a solid junior season. DJ McClary wrapped up another productive season. Brady O'Hara's season came to an end, but he seems solid watching the film. So I think right now the class is in a, a, a solid spot, and I think they're going to definitely continue building. They're, they're involved with a lot of guys who are ranked highly, and they have themselves in solid spots with those guys. I mean, Trent Wilson, the top 100 defensive lineman from Maryland, he was back on campus over the weekend. Tariq Hayer from D.C., the cornerback, he was on. He was back in town over the weekend. So Penn State – you know, they're, uh, they're working that 2025 class pretty hard right now with so many guys in 24 already on board. You're seeing it pay off in the form of some commitments, and there are definitely more to come as the winter and spring progress. Those junior days are going to be interesting because they're going to be getting a lot of priority guys who maybe haven't been around a lot. You know, Anthony Saka being one of them, he's going to be back in town. Guys like that are going to be back. So and those are, those are names high on the board, and Penn State's looking to help itself with those guys. It's going to be interesting to follow that 2025 target board and the class as it grows. We, we've obviously learned a lot about the 2024 class to this point. There are 25 committed athletes in that group right now. I mean, at least half, if not more than half, are going to be on campus in just two months as early enrollees. Things happen fast in college football. They're going to be members of this team, and there'll be pads uh, come next March. Uh, aside from the, what we know about the group, and what we know is it's a pretty impressive uh, collection of offensive talent toward that top. Uh, and you work your way through and you like a lot of the pieces they've assembled defensively. But what is still on the table for this unit, uh, for this class, as we go from mid-November and get closer to Christmas when signing day pops up? And, and ultimately, maybe there's some leftovers in February. But I think we're beyond the point of anticipating that or expecting that or counting on it. Right now, it feels like a lot of schools want to wrap up what they're doing at the high school level of recruiting and talent acquisition in December. And so we'll see if there's some surprises, maybe a late pickup like Chim Diono uh, or a Vega Ioane in February. There could always be one of those situations. But what do we need to be aware of here in the next five weeks between when, now and when those guys put pen to paper? Well, right now, the conversation when it comes to, you know, wrapping up that 2024 class, it surrounds a former Michigan State commit in the top 24-7 offensive lineman, Andrew Dennis, who was just on campus for an official visit. Penn State has fared really well with him, really going back to when this offer went out in September. And I said this on the college football recruiting show last week, and I think I've said it multiple times here as well. Had Penn State offered Dennis kind of before his rise up the rankings you know, he visited during the spring in March and had Penn State offered that day, there's a legitimate chance that he's in the class right now because that's how high his opinion of Penn State was. You know, Michigan State goes on to offer a month later and he decides to stay home up until everything went down with Mel Tucker in East Lansing. But I think Penn State is really, really high in the pecking order for Dennis right now to give them the, the, uh, the edge over the rest of the field right now. But he's got a big visit coming up this weekend. It's going to be in Clemson for an official visit. And I'd say the Tigers are probably Penn State's biggest challenger at this point. You know, Illinois and Purdue have done well with Dennis as well. You know, he's going to be taking official visits to those two Big Ten programs. But all of the intel and the feedback I've received recently is that 
Clemson's probably going to give Penn State the biggest run for its money. And those are the two programs getting him on campus the first two weekends of his official visit slate. So you're going to have some impressions made early on in his official visit process. And I think those impressions, they're going to be paramount when it comes to his final decision. But right now, I think Penn State's in the lead. And then beyond Dennis, well, wide receiver. there for a yeah. second just yeah. on the offensive line because they've got a five-man class right now. And mm -hmm. I, we've seen all five of those guys come to Penn State and perform in camp. And Caleb Brewer really improved at, at, by the end of the summer compared to where he was during the summer. And guys like Cooper Cousins dominated. And then it was really interesting, I think, for all of us at the Lions 24-7 site to lay eyes on, on Egan Boyer and Garrett Sexton, you know, the out-of-region guys and their interesting frames and their ability to do some very interesting things at that size. And then you've got Donovan Harbor, who's just this massive physical specimen. And he's, he's you know, he's kind of looks like that more traditional looking offensive lineman where he's carrying some weight and he's bowling guys over in the traditional way. So it's a group that has a lot going on already. And this would be a sixth member. How important is it for Phil Troutwine to bring in big numbers in this class? Because I'm looking at back at what they've done recently. And of course, they just brought in a relatively large class, four guys. Three of them have seen game action here in 2023. But you go back to last year, Malik McNeil didn't stick with the program very long as a 2022 signee. Go back to 2021. Unfortunately, you ultimately lost Landon Tengwall along the way due to a, a, you know, an injury. And then you also very early on lost Nate Bruce. He stepped away from football at that time. So really light on numbers. Is this an effort between last year's class and maybe a six-man group here to just firm that up? Yeah, it's definitely something that Penn State wants to accomplish because what's the old adage? You know, you can never have enough bodies in the trenches, enough high-quality bodies in the trenches, and Penn State perceives Dennis to be one of those potential high-quality players. And that's not the only avenue that they've explored trying to get another offensive lineman into this 2024 class as well. You know, Kevin Haywood, the, in, the top 24-7 in-state tackle, they've tried to get him off his commitment to Wisconsin. He has kind of reaffirmed that he is solid to the Badger, so I'm not, that's not what I'm anticipating happening for Penn State on the foot front, but they have continued to try. I mean, there's been some recent involvement with Therese Davis, the uh, Maryland offensive tackle commit from DeMatha Catholic in Maryland. That one's still fresh. Fresh, but Davis has been receptive to Penn State's efforts early on. So that's something to monitor. Again, right now I would leave that as just monitoring it because two sides are getting to know each other. So they've definitely, you know, they've wanted to add another offensive lineman to this group for a while now. You know, that, that's been the plan pretty much since this class got this offensive line class got locked down relatively early in the cycle. If you go back and look at, it, you know, Harbor, he committed what? late April after the blue-white game. So this group has been set in stone for a little while, but Penn State has continued to try to add to it. And right now, I'd say Dennis is probably the most likely addition if they are going to add another 2024 offensive lineman before the early signing period. And a reminder, Andrew Dennis out of Mount Pleasant High School in Michigan, number 159 overall in the top 24-7. He's the number five overall interior lineman, a four-star, of course. Um, so you wanted to move on from offensive line. I'll let you do that now. But I just thought we, we needed to circle back and just kind of give the big picture because it already was a large class. Yeah, no, I definitely appreciate that because I, I, was, I was ready to go on to the skill positions, my personal favorite. But uh, wide receiver, you know, we got Hagan still working. The flip front, as I said earlier, you know, Cam Coleman, the Texas A&M commit, you kind of wonder how that coaching change down in college stations impacts things for him. It's going to impact things for him, I'd, I'd anticipate, but probably not in favor of Penn State where it is. He's more likely to stay down south. And, you know, getting him to campus for an official visit, that was always really a 50-50 proposition at best, so I don't think that's going to happen. For Penn State. Nope. We're talking about here. Yeah, Cole, he, an elite yeah. prospect. That kid's film is unreal. Jalen Hornsby is a name that's been tossed around throughout the cycle, given the fact that he took an official visit in June. He's another Texas A&M commit. How does this impact him? He posted on X that 
you know, he's still committed to the Aggies and there's more that goes into his commitment than just Jimbo Fisher. But, you know, he's listening to other programs. Penn State hasn't really been all that involved recently. So I think that's, you know, maybe they circle back. But right now I'd say no. Nick Marshall, Michigan State committee, still locked in with the Spartans. That's a name, you know, still in play for Penn State. Georgia Tech got him on campus for an official visit at the end of October. He's going to be in Colorado for an official visit in December. We're going to have to see what comes about on that front. So wide receiver, you know, Penn State's still working it. Linebacker, we got to shift over to the defensive side of the ball because that's, you know, there's a lot of focus on that. We touched on Ballard earlier. Ernest Willer, you know, Penn State is still monitoring him. Top 24-7 defensive line prospect from Concordia Prep in Towson, Maryland. Penn State's been involved with him for a while. We're going to have to see if that December official visit, if it comes together. And uh, linebacker, Elijah Newby, another guy who we've been talking about for a really long time. Yeah. Commitment to USC, that caught a lot of people. At Penn State, by surprise, you know, Penn State did not get the chance to host him for an official visit in June before he made that decision to commit to the Trojans. They've stayed on him. Luke Reynolds has definitely been on him as his Cheshire Academy teammate. There's been a lot of peer recruiting going on on that front. And, you know, I guess there is still some remaining appeal to playing or staying in the Northeast. You know, that's what I've been hearing recently. So does that matter for Newby? And then is it enough to sway him off USC and get him back to Penn State for another visit before the early signing period? I'm not willing to make that jump just yet, but you know Penn State's still working that as well. Newbie's—he's a heck of a prospect. He would be another quality addition to that linebacker room for Manny Diaz. So Penn State's trying there, but this class—it's in a solid spot right now. Twenty-five guys on board. Penn State's happy with the group it has, but like to make a couple more additions if it can. But again, you gotta keep in mind we got portal season coming, and I anticipate Penn State's gonna be active at a couple of positions in the portal. So that's another element that we just need to stay locked into. And Tyler is very active come portal season two. Don't you worry. He's good. He's oh, yeah. got that covered as well. Tyler, appreciate it. Jumping on with a commitment coming Penn State's way here. It was broadcast on 24-7 Sports. And now Beckham Kritza is a member of that 2025 Nittany Lions class. What, just because we're not going to have you on between now and, and kickoff. It's the last home game of the season. Any early indication of, of what's going on? We're, we're expecting it to be by the you know the the lightest attended game and, and probably not the greatest atmosphere just in terms of general population on campus Saturday against Rutgers but anything on the recruiting front uh, on on Tuesday here that that that's worth noting no, well, this is still coming together. One notable thing is that Ben Howard from Utah, offensive line prospect in the 2025 class, he's going to be making a cross-country trip to check this one out. And, you know, Penn State has an offer out there. So I'd say that's pretty intriguing. But really the list for the Rutgers game is really just coming together. We'll have more on that as the week progresses. You know, right now we still got our focus on wrapping up the feedback from the Michigan visitors. Of course, you know, planning to talk about with the Crits commitment and where the Penn State's 2025 recruiting class is heading from that point on. But, yeah, so the, I, I don't think that, you know, the atmosphere or what's the impending atmosphere inside Beaver Stadium this weekend will deter recruits who want to make its campus to visit. I don't think that'll, you know, kind of put a damper on the visitors list, but we got to see who is indeed making it to town because that is a work in progress right now. Always great stuff from Tyler Calvaruso. He covers recruiting. He covers the transfer portal for us at lines247.com. Our VIP subscribers get treated by him every day. We appreciate your coverage here on the podcast, my friend. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me back on. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're going to get back to work over at the site where you can catch a lot of content from our feedback and fallout following the firing of Mike Yersich as offensive coordinator. We've heard from a few players at this point. We heard from an offensive captain in Theo Johnson earlier today, uh, documented a lot of that at lines247.com along 
with what's next for this group. Uh, we'll be hearing from more players tomorrow on a Wednesday. We'll also be back on the practice field and getting our first look at this team in practice action without, without Mike Yersich involved in a long time. What might that look like? How involved is Danny O'Brien with the quarterbacks? How involved is James Franklin with the quarterbacks? There's a few things we'll be keeping close eyes on. And Jay Wan Sider and Ty Howell now going from assistant coaches, position coaches to co-offensive coordinators on the interim for the next couple of games at least. So plenty to focus in on more than we maybe anticipated here during Rutgers game week. And you'll find it all at lines247.com. We're back Thursday with a full preview for this matchup between Rutgers and Penn State. We'll give you our predictions. We'll give you our players to watch. And we'll tell you what we learned from a week of conversations and a look at practice. For now, stepping aside, thanks again to Tyler Calvaruso. I am Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.